All right, good evening. Welcome to the mine. And you feel like you are underground in a mine tonight, don't you? Well, listen, I know I've been saying this, but it's really true this time. This is going to be the last week we are in this room. Next week, next Tuesday, you want to go to the new building on Tuesday night, and that room will fit 250 people in there, all right? Which means we need to double the size of our mind now to fill that room up, because that's been the first assignment that I have been given is fill up that room on Tuesday night. So that's what we need to do, all right? We need to get the word out about that. So anyway, next Tuesday, don't forget, don't come here to this little room. Go to A104. What you'll do is you'll go into the new building. And for those of you that will be here Sunday, I'm sure you'll see it. When you go into the new building, you'll want to take a left and go down that hallway. It will not be the first room on your right. It will be the second room on your right. And it will be labeled A104. All right, that's where we'll be next week. It's the biggest adult classroom in the new building. Can't miss it. No windows. No windows. Yeah. All right. But it is the biggest room. So there we go. All right. A couple other things real quick. And then we're going to turn it over to Seth for worship tonight. Um, Many of you have been asking, can you get into the new building tonight and take a look? The answer really is no. Uh, There's still a crew over there, in fact, working tonight. Again, trying to get, we're we're at the 11th hour here. We're trying to, you know, they're trying to get that building ready for us to move into. So there's crews over there tonight, a a few of them, and we just would rather anybody not slow them down at all. So uh, we're just telling people, please don't go over there tonight uh, to take a look at the building. Uh, It'll be there on Sunday. Secondly, some of you have also asked about, we have signed up to help. We have said we would help. When can we help? The answer is because they have not given us occupancy yet of that building that we can't have people in there to work until probably Friday or Saturday. So what we're looking at is if you can help us Friday or Saturday, I'm sure you'll be getting a call or just, you know, let Carrie know. Carrie Sachs is sort of the point person for this move. So uh, if you want to help on Friday or Saturday and you haven't let anybody know and you can be here, call the church office tomorrow and say, Carrie, I can be there Friday night or I can be there at some point on Saturday to help because it looks like we're going to have two days to get what we need to ready for Sunday and Kurt Warner being there and all that cool stuff. So all of that. The other thing that I want to share before Seth comes is a personal commercial, and I apologize for this. But I, a lot of times I run into people on the campus who go, I didn't know you were doing that, and I didn't know you were doing that. I still run into people every Sunday who says, I didn't know there's a mine and you teach it or anything like that. So at every information booth, whether it be the new information booth inside the new building or the one outside or whatever, you can find these cards. And on these cards, it just simply says, Bible Studies with Pastor Jeff. And all the ones that I do here at Cornerstone are on there. I do two small churches on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be doing my singles and friends class at 8.30 in the new building. Starting uh, April the 15th, I'm going to be doing an elective study on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. At 10 o'clock, I do the mine on Tuesday. I do a women's Bible study Wednesday morning. My wife and I lead the married and loving it group on Friday night for any married couple that would like to be a part of that. I do the questions class. 
I'm going to add a couple more because I'm not quite filled up yet, okay? Um, There's room on the back. Room on the back, yeah. So, uh, it's a good question. Uh, but anyway, those are at the info booths. So, if you, you know, like information about those, pick those up, all right? That'll give you the times and all of that. I have had a lot of interest in the new small church that I'm doing. And the elective studies basically means this, that they're going to give me uh, a room at 10 o'clock every Sunday to do an elective study. And for like eight weeks, I'm going to be doing a minist- the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But after that, I might pick a book of the Bible like Daniel or Revelation or something like that to do. I may do another topical study uh, on dealing with anxiety or stuff like that. So anyway, you'll be you know, hearing about the different elective studies that I'll be doing. But say, say you come to the 830 service and you want to stay... 10 o'clock and you want to do a Bible study with me, I'd love to have you in there. Or you come to 10 o'clock, you do a Bible study with me on Sunday, and then you go to the 1130 service. However, but anyway, so that will start April the 15th. And so again, you can find the information out on those cards. All right. It's so good to have you guys here. And you have been so faithful this whole semester and cramming into this little room, 130 of you on Tuesday night. And I appreciate your patience and your flexibility. But again, next week, guys, next week. I can't wait. And the staff went through the building today, and it's just, oh, it's just, I don't know, it's just a building. It's just a tool uh, that we can use to reach people for Jesus Christ and to build up God's people. But it's a wonderful tool, and we want to use it to the hilt. And we are. We are. We're going to use it. So anyway, um, without any further Delay. Let's have welcome Seth up here. Wells, Seth is going to lead us in worship tonight. Amen. Amen. All right. Without, uh, again, any more delay, let's dive into it tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, we're going to be picking it up in Hebrews chapter 11. We want to encourage you tonight with the Word of God. We're going to be talking about faith. Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. In the Bible, and uh, we're going to be looking at faith. Before we actually dive into looking at faith, I want to just take a few moments to dispel some misconceptions about faith. All right? The first one being this every human being lives to a degree by faith. Everyone. It doesn't matter whether they're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ or not. Every human being lives by faith because every human sometime during the day or the week or the month or the year, you as a human being entrust yourself to something or someone else. I've used the examples over and over again. If you go down to Sky Harbor Airport and you get on a plane, you are entrusting yourself. You are putting your faith in that airline company and in that pilot to get you to your destination. When you go out to eat at any restaurant, you are putting your faith in that person who's preparing your meal that you can't see behind there. You're living by faith. In fact, a very good illustration of this is that on a helicopter, there is one piece of equipment that is the most essential piece of equipment on any helicopter. It is the one piece that if it malfunctions, it it causes catastrophic problems. It's called the Jesus bolt. And it's the bolt that, that 
puts the rotor and attaches the rotor of the helicopter to the main part of the helicopter. Anyone that knows anything about helicopters knows that's what that bolt is called. It's called the Jesus bolt. And, and the reason it's called the Jesus bolt is primarily for two reasons. One, the pilot has to have faith above anything else on this helicopter. He's got to have faith in that Jesus bolt because if the rotor comes off... And the other reason it's called the Jesus bolt is because if it malfunctions, that's usually the name they're calling out. So even the world recognizes that, you know, when it comes right down to it, when they think about it, when they reason it out, we all entrust ourselves. So it's not like, oh, you Christians live by faith and we don't know. Everybody lives to a degree by faith. And also the Bible teaches it's not the amount of faith that's as important as the object of our faith. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels that you and I could have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is a very, very small seed. And yet, if we have that kind of faith in the right object, which is God Himself, that's the key. So the key is the object. So in other words, like we were talking about people entrusting themselves to things of the earth and other people, you and I can do that, but eventually we're going to be disappointed. Eventually something's going to break, we're going to get ripped off, yada, you know, on and on it goes. If we put our faith and we entrust ourselves to anyone or something else, eventually we're going to be disappointed. So here's what the Bible says. But if you put your faith in the right object always, which is God Himself and only in Him, you will never be disappointed. Because His promises will never fail and He will never disappoint you. He will always have your best interest at heart. So again, it's not the size of our faith. We live in a world today, and I even hear a lot of teaching where you know people are saying, you've got to have more faith, and it's the amount of our faith, and they're focused on their faith more than they are on God. And God doesn't want us to focus on our faith. He wants us to focus on Him. On Him. Next. There is no such thing as blind faith. God doesn't expect us to entrust ourselves to Him without ample evidence, ample basis for our faith. Over and over again, throughout history, God has given His people at that time ample evidence, ample basis for why they should believe in Him. Let's go back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't raise from the dead in a vacuum. Jesus rose from the dead in history. In fact, the Bible tells us that at one time, He appeared to 500 people at once after He rose from the dead. Now, there are many people who debate the resurrection, and one of their lame philosophies that they've come up with over the years is the hallucination theory. And that is that those 500 people saw an hallucination of the risen Jesus. They really didn't see the risen Jesus. Well, even... And, even modern psychiatry has said that's a bunch of bunk. Because even they realize that no two people are going to share the same hallucination at the same time. So if I'm seeing a pink elephant in that corner tonight, you can't see that same pink elephant. You may see an orange elephant over there, but you're not going to see a pink one because people don't share the same, much less 500 people at one time. They're all going to share the same hallucination. So... 
Jesus gave us ample evidence. In fact, even his disciples were questioning. And what did Jesus do? He said, Thomas, stick your finger here in my nail prints. Uh, Put your hand here in the side where they had thrust my spear while I was hanging on the cross. I'll give you evidence. You want evidence? God says, I'll give it to you. In fact, when he called his disciples to follow him, they were a little concerned about entrusting themselves to him to take care of them. So he said, I'm going to give you some evidence. They were fishermen. He says, you take your boats out there on the Sea of Galilee. And he said, you let down your nets for a big catch. Now, Peter and the other fishermen, they're like, they have, they have been toiling all night. They've been working hard all night. And they know that if you know anything about fishing on the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night when it's cooled off and when the fish come to the surface. The fish don't come to the surface during the day when it's hot outside. But Peter said, okay, we'll do it anyway. He's a carpenter's son. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But we'll go out. We'll let down our nets. And the Bible says when they let down their nets, there was such a huge catch of fish that the ships or the boats began to sink. Jesus was saying, "Uh, I think you can trust me to take care of you. And he was giving them ample evidence, ample basis for their faith. God doesn't expect us to believe blindly. He gives us, and any of us who have followed Christ at any for any length of time, we know how faithful God is. God has been faithful. He has proven Himself. And we can go back over and over again to those times in our life where that is true. So, with all of that said, we finally get to Hebrews 11.1, 1, which t- shows us then the function of faith in God. And here's the function of faith in God. This is what this is why God wants us to have faith in him. Because faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. You see, God wants his followers to be sure of certain things in a world where there is so much that is unsure. God wants his people to be able to be sure about certain things In a world where there's not much to be sure about. Everything is changing. There's not a lot of stability. There's not a lot of security in the things of this world. So one of the functions of faith and why God wants His people to have faith is because through faith we can be sure about things. Hope you're sure about some things tonight. I hope you're convinced about some things tonight even though you've never seen them. For instance, I've never been to heaven, but I know there is one. You see, I I can be sure of something even though I haven't seen it through faith. That's why I trust what God says about how the world was created, not what man says. Because no man was there when the universe was created, but God was. And he said, here's how I created the world. Genesis, the first couple of chapters. So that's the function of of faith. Also, I pointed out here in the mind, very important word in the book of Hebrews is the word hope, which you find in verse 1. And notice that hope and faith are connected. Because again, biblical hope is confident expectation. It's not how we use the word hope in the English language, where we're wishing for something, where we say something like, I, I hope that takes place. We're not sure it is, but we're wishing for it. Well, when the Bible uses the word hope, because our hope is connected with our faith, 
We don't have to be wishing about it. We can be confidently expecting it to happen because God has said it. You see, my faith is not based on anything but God's Word and His divine assurance that this is the way it is, so I can be sure about it. I don't have to worry about, you know, man might have made a mistake, man might have made a miscalculation, but God is not going to do that, and so I can be sure. So tonight, I guess one of the main things I want all of us to leave here with tonight encouraged about are the things that we can be sure about. Because again, we live in a world where there's not a lot we, we can't even be sure about tomorrow. I mean, even, I may not be here tomorrow. You know, I could leave here tonight, and, you know, I'm not looking for it, but I could be driving back out to Gold Canyon tonight and be in a car accident. I could be gone and done. Boom, I'm gone. So, there's not a lot that we can be sure of. But there's the most important things we can be sure of. The most important things we can be sure of. And that's what God wants us to focus on. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Don't worry about the things you can't be totally sure about. Focus on the things that you can be, because that's what faith will do. Notice also the reward of faith in God. Verse 2, For by it the people of old, the people that he's about to talk about and mention in Hebrews 11, received God's commendation or God's approval. In fact, notice in verse 6, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who approaches God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. He commends and He rewards. Now here's a really cool thing. The word in your translation that may be rendered in verse 2, commends or approval or whatever there, is really the Greek word martyruo. Martyr, where we get the word martyr from. And the word martyr in the New Testament, basically besides meaning someone who's willing to die for what they believe in, is really a word that came to mean in the Greek culture, a witness. So here's the cool thing. Here's what God is saying. Don't miss this. He says, here's what God will do to those who put their faith in His Word and in Him. He will put them on a platform in this world to be a witness for Him. And the more we trust Him and the more faith we put in Him, the greater our platform will be. That's the reward of our faith. That God will continue to increase the amount of influence that we can have because God wants people all around us to see people who are living by faith and trusting in Him. That's why part of the reason why what's going on here is going on here. Because this church, meaning all of us who come here, we have taken a step of faith with this new building. And we have entrusted our future to God. And we by faith have ventured out. And God is pleased when His people follow Him by faith. When we don't have everything all figured out, but one step at a time, we are trusting. And because of that, I believe God is giving us an even greater platform to be a greater influence in the Chandler area. And that's going to continue to increase as long as you and I, as God's people here at this place, continue to put our faith in Him because that's what God does. He commends people's faith. He puts them out there as a lampstand and says to all the world, look at them. You see, the sad thing is in the culture and the world and the society that we live in today, people are trying to put themselves out there to draw attention to themselves. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look look at the accomplishments I've made, whatever. 
And, and they're doing that all on their own. But God says, folks, if you follow me, you don't have to worry about putting yourselves out there. If you follow me by faith and you're obedient to me, I'll put you out there. When I put you out there, I'll put you out there as a lampstand to your neighborhood, to your coworkers, to the people you go to school with, to the Chandler area, wherever, as a church. I'll put you out there. That's how I commend your faith, by rewarding you with even greater opportunities to be an influence for me. Because I want other people to see my people living by faith and putting their trust in me. So then beginning in verse 4, we have a record of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. And the whole chapter basically begins now by saying, and by faith this Old Testament person, and by faith this Old Testament person did this. And so you'll notice that faith is very active. That that faith isn't passive, it isn't inactive. That faith is very active. If we have faith in God, we're going to be doing things. We're going to be out there entrusting ourselves and our lives and our futures to God. And so the record of faith begins with, notice, Abel. You think, why doesn't it begin with who it all began with? Adam and Eve. Why does it begin here in Hebrews 11 with Abel? Well, because Adam and Eve had a face-to-face relationship with God. And in a sense, they, they didn't need a level of faith that after sin entered, that everyone after them did need that level of faith. Even their sons, Abel and Cain, needed a different level of faith than the face-to-face that Adam and Eve had with God before sin entered in. That's one of the tragic consequences of sin. Is remember, if you read the first couple chapters of Genesis, Adam and Eve had this face-to-face with God. But when sin entered in, it cut off that sort of face-to-face encounter with God. And so no longer could they have that face-to-face encounter with God. And so that's where faith began. And so the record of faith begins with Abel. I just want to remind you all of this. As, we, as you read Hebrews chapter 11, as we study Hebrews chapter 11, you and I have to, again, by faith, get to this point in our lives. And that is this. All these great things that God accomplished through others, He can accomplish through you. And you've got to get there. You have got to get there. I, and you may say, I'm not there yet. That's okay. But you've got to make progress towards that point. You have got to come to a point in your walk with God where you can read a chapter like Hebrews 11, and see all the great things that God could do through human beings like you and me, and how He put them out there to be this, this lampstand, this witness, if you will, for Him, so that people all around them could see, wow! So that's what trusting God is all about. And you and I have got to come to a place where by faith, we believe that if God can do that through them, He can also do it through me. In fact, if you're part of this fellowship, you're part of that. You are seeing God do that through us right now at this moment in history. As we see what God is doing and what He's about to do as we move into that building. I mean, I'm just firmly convinced, and I know Pastor Lynn and the others don't don't want to hear this right now. But I'm like, guys, uh, we're going to be going to five or six services here pretty soon. You realize that, don't you? We're, we're going to fill up that building like in, in no time. I, I can just, I'm telling you, I can just see it. I can see it. And they can too. It's just they don't want to think about it right now, but they can see it. 
They can see it. So, it's just awesome. But you, you've got to come to that point even individually. Not even as part of a, a, a body of believers like this, but you've got to believe that God can accomplish great things through you and your life, just as He did Abel and all these other people that He lists here in Hebrews 11. And again, where is that going to fall? Faith. You've got you to believe. You've got to trust. And it has nothing to do with well, but you don't understand, you know, I, I don't have what these people had. Well, wait a minute now. Be fair. Go back into the Old Testament and start reading about these people. Were they so great? I don't think so. They were just like us. And when God went to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt, what did Moses say? I don't want to do it. Come up with all kinds of excuses. You know, I'm not very eloquent. I can't talk. I mean, he... So, was he some like, yeah, God, I will be glad to do that. Yeah, I'll be your hero. No. So, he was no different than us. So, when you begin to read, again, don't read the Bible skewed. Read the Bible for what it is. And that's why God gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly about all these people in the Bible. Because he wants us to realize that if I can work through them, I can work through you too. Because you're no different. That's why in the book of James it says Elijah was a man just like we were. Just like we were. Put on his pants the same way we do. All right? And we've got to remember that. So you can't start looking at all these people in Hebrews 11 going, oh, but we're talking about Noah and Abraham and Moses. And yeah, and they were just like we are. Struggling to believe in God. God can work through you. All right, one other thing, and then I'm going to stop for any comments or questions. In verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, he uses three Old Testament characters, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And you'll notice here that there is a connection between all three, and the connection is really death. Because you'll notice in verse 4, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain, and through his faith, he was commended as righteous because God commended him for his offerings. And notice this, and through his faith, he still speaks, though he is dead. I love that. In fact, that's one of my verses that I use in funeral and memorial services for the last 23 years is Hebrews 11.4. That though he is dead, or she is dead, they still speak. Because you see here again, God is saying, first of all, that death is not the end. And if you and I have faith in God's Word, then we know that death isn't the end. It's just the beginning of a whole new wonderful existence with God in heaven. And that if I live my life by faith, trusting in God, that I will leave a legacy long after I die and pass off this earth. That even though, again, we live in a world and a culture and a society where people are trying to stamp their names and all this on our culture and saying, you know, I'm going to have a memorial to me long after I die because I'm going to name a building after me so that people can remember me. God says, you don't need to do that as a follower of me. If you live by faith, there will be people who have been impacted by your faith and your life of faith, and they will be long after you are gone talking about your faith and being inspired by your life of faith to God. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. You want to leave a lasting legacy? 
You want people to be positively talking about the example of your life? Faith. Living a life that just says, I'm going to trust God. Even when it's hard to trust God, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to show other people that's the way to go. Because I tell you what, when we live that way, God's going to put us out there. That's the commendation. That's the witness. And then even after we pass off this earth, people are going to be Christians. Man, I'm still inspired by that. My father's been dead for 17 years. Many of you know this story now. It was not only my dad, he was my best friend. My dad's been dead 17 years now and he still inspires me every day. His faith in God inspires me every day and will till the day I die. He's dead, but he's still speaking. You know people that like that too. And then you go to Enoch. Enoch was one of those cool people in the Bible that didn't have to die. And he's a representation of those who will be alive when Jesus comes back in what we call the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17, who are caught up. That's what we get the word rapture. That's what the word rapture means, to be caught up. And Jesus is going to catch us away one day. And, and those who are alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture are not going to die a physical death. And Enoch is a type of that person. Notice, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. And he was not to be found because God took him up for before his removal he had been commended as having pleased God. And if you go back and you read more, a little bit more about Enoch, the cool thing about Enoch is the Bible says he just walked with God by faith every day. Wow. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't around. God just took him. Boom, there he was gone. So Abel was dead, but he was still speaking. Enoch didn't die. And then you come to the, probably the person we know the best, and that's the whole story of Noah. In verse 7, By faith Noah, when he was warned about these things not yet seen, with reverent regard, constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. In a sense, he was saved through death. That in a sense, death was all around him, but because of his faith and obedience to God and what God said, he was able to spare himself and his family through the great worldwide flood. Yes, I do believe God and His Word. It was a worldwide flood. Yeah, the water covered the whole world. Now, think about this. Again, one of the things that we need to do to get the most out of the Bible is when we read the Bible, try to put ourselves into that if we can. And you've got a man, Noah, who's living at a time where it's never rained. So God comes and says, Noah, you need to build a boat. What's a boat? Well, I'm going to tell you what this boat is. It's, it's, I'm going to call it an ark. And I'm going to give you everything you need to build this ark. I'm going to tell you the dimensions. I'm going to tell you what materials you're going to need to build this ark. You just, you just build this ark. Because you're going to be glad in 120 years... That you did. Because I'm going to give 120 years for you to tell people about the rain and the flood that's coming. And anybody who listens to you and by faith listens to my word can get into that ark and be saved. It's a beautiful picture of the ark of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is our ark. Who we can come into, in a sense, be saved. You see. So Noah started building and preaching. 120 years. Can you imagine his neighbors? Noah, what are you doing? Um, 
Build an ark. What's an ark? Well, I'm building this because God said it's going to rain. What's rain? I mean, come on. But because he never saw the rain, didn't mean it wasn't coming. In fact, it was sure it was going to come. Because God said so. And instead of trusting in the things that he could only feel and see, he trusted in the Word of God. And after 120 years, he was glad he did. Now let me also say this as a word of encouragement. As a preacher, as a pastor, I take great comfort in this. Noah was called in the Bible a great preacher. But do you realize he preached for 120 years and no one listened to him? You realize that, don't you? Not one person got on the ark, but Noah and his family. And the reason I say that as an encouragement is because many people, one of their excuses, well, you know, I, I don't want to witness. I'm, I'm not very effective. You know, again, the whole thing. I don't want to tell people. I, I might say something wrong. I don't know what to say. I don't know as much about the Bible. It's like, you know what, guys? You just tell what you know and how God has changed your life and God will use that. And listen, God doesn't hold us responsible for their response. That's the beauty of it. That's why I'm willing to get up in front of 3,000 people at a church like Cornerstone and preach sometimes on Sunday. Because if I was responsible for people's response, I'd be like, no, Pastor Lynn, I'm not getting up there. But because I'm, the only thing God holds me responsible for is to speak His Word truthfully. After I do that, God doesn't hold me... If people want to turn Him off and turn His Word off and turn me off and fall asleep, that's between them and God. I'm not responsible for their response. And that's, what I, that's one of the main encouragements I get out of, the, out of Noah. God commended Noah. And Noah wasn't a failure because no one followed him when he spoke. Noah was commended by God and was included in what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. And the reason he was included there is because he pleased God. Not necessarily because he pleased people, because he pleased God. And that was all that mattered. So, Enoch, Noah, and Abel. Very good first examples for us there. And remember, what God accomplished through them, He can accomplish through you. You have to believe that and you have to come to a point where you believe it. All right. Sorry. I just can't help but get excited. All right. Comments, questions, thoughts. All right. Let's keep on going. Notice faith and obedience. Verse 8. How do I measure faith? How do, how do I know I'm a person of faith? One way to measure that is by my obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. So notice, by faith, Abraham, notice, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance. And he went out, notice, without understanding where he was going. Now, here's the key. And you and I all know there because we've been there. If we've been a Christian for any length of time. We all know this is the way it works. Faith and obedience, but it's faith and obedience one step 
at a time. Notice, all God said was, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and your friends. I want you to come out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And I, I want you to go to a land. I'm going to show you. I, I'm not going to tell you right now where it is. But I just want you to take that step away from all that you know. And I want you to follow me. And without knowing where Abraham was going, the Bible says, and what the end result was going to be, that's why God commended Abraham. Because he was willing to trust God even though God didn't tell him the whole picture. And God doesn't tell us the whole picture either. If He tells you the whole picture, I'm upset. Because He's never told me the whole picture. God's always worked in my life that He wants Jeff Royce to go from point A to point B. And once I go to point B, then once I get there, he'll t- it's sort of like, and I don't watch it every once in a while, that show The Amazing Race, where they get to one place and then they get instructions where to go next and they don't know where to go until they get there. It's the way God works. Because where would the faith be if God came into my life and said, Jeff, I'm taking you to, to Z. I'm like, oh, cool. So I know where I'm going. So... All the letters in between A and Z are just sort of no big deal, you know. It's not steps of faith, it's... God doesn't usually work that way. God says, I want to develop you and grow you and and mature you little bits at a time. And I don't expect you to trust me to go from A to Z. That's unreasonable. But I do expect you as a human being to trust me to go from A to B. And then from B to C. From C to D, one step at a time. That's why Abraham is in Hebrews 11. Because he's an example to all of us, and we've all been there if we followed God any length of time, where he didn't know the end at the beginning. He just trusted God one step at a time. And that's what obedience will do. Notice, verse 9, by faith he lived as a foreigner in the promised land, as though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. See, faith too sort of gives us a different perspective on things. Because if we're trusting God, we realize that this isn't all there is, and that there's a permanent, eternal future out there that's so much better than this temporary existence we have. So we're not going to get our roots too tied too deeply down here. If we start to tie our roots too deeply down here, then we're not really believing what God said, which is don't get so caught up in this world that you can't really focus on what's really important, which is the eternal stuff that you can't see. Because the things that you can see are temporary, but the things that you and I can't see are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18, if you want a reference for that. So, that's all part of it too. But then notice this. I love this. Verse 10. Faith also looks forward. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. That city is described in the book of Revelation, by the way. It's an unbelievable city. And God knows He created human beings to live in cities. He doesn't have a problem with cities. In fact, he's building an unbelievable city that's sort of what I call the capital city of heaven, called the New Jerusalem. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. When we were studying through the book of Revelation, we studied about that. And that's what Abraham had his eyes on. Not some city down here. That's why he could give Lot, his nephew, choice. Lot, 
I don't really care a lot because I'm not really hepped up on anything down here on earth. So I'll let you take first pick. You know the story in Genesis? And Lot looks out and goes, wow, that over there. That looks good. And you all, you all, if you know the story, you know where that was at, right? That was Sodom and Gomorrah. That looks good over there. I think I'll settle down there. Abraham says, go for it. That doesn't, that doesn't appeal to me at all. Because eh, that just doesn't do anything for me. See, faith just gives us a whole different perspective on things. And faith looks forward. Too many of us in our life, you know what our problem is? Too many of us are looking behind us. We're looking backward. We're looking in the rearview mirror. We're, we're being affected in the present by the things of our past. Some bad, some maybe even good. But we're, we're being too affected by the things behind. Faith doesn't do that. Faith doesn't look behind. Faith looks forward. So I would just encourage you tonight, if you're here tonight and you've been struggling with something in your past, you need to, by faith, learn to let that go. Let it go. Let it go. In fact, do I want to do this? Oh, man. No, no, no. no. Maybe. Maybe later. And then, here's another thing. Here's another problem. Not only do some of us look behind too much, some of us look around too much. You know... I might not be all that I should be, but look at Joe over there. I'm better than Joe. You know. Bible says, whoa, 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 whoa. God says, never start comparing yourself with other people. Because we all know, we can always find people that's not maybe as committed as we are, but we can also find people, if we're honest, who are more committed to Christ than we are. But that's not the point. The point is not to look behind. The point is not to look around. The point is to look forward and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In fact, to jump ahead a little bit, isn't that what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12? Let's look at it for just a moment. The first couple of verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses, martyreos, People that God put out there for everybody to see because they live by faith. Here's what God is saying in Hebrews 12.1. If I accomplish this through them, I can accomplish it through you. Therefore, we must get rid of every weight in the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. And what's the next words? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Looking forward. Not looking behind. Not looking at the side of us, we all know if any of us have ever run track, and the only reason I ran track is because when I was playing football in high school, you had to run track. Trust me, I would not choose to run track. You, if you were going to be at, good at track at all, you, you had to just keep your eyes on the finish line. In fact, if you started looking behind you or looking to the side of you, you're, you were going to lose seconds, <coughs> precious seconds, as far as that goes. Same thing is true in the Christian life. And as a pastor, and especially as a counselor for 23 years, I would have to say that probably more people, one of the things that they really struggle with is their past. 
good or bad. They're past. As I like to say it in counseling terms, they've never really learned how to pack their past away properly. So instead of this suitcase being all packed and shut and, okay, I'm done with it, there's closure there, the suitcase is open and there's clothes strewn all over the room and they've never learned to pack their past up properly and be able to move forward. If that's you, Ask God tonight to begin to help you to do that. It's huge. Because I'm telling you, I've dealt with thousands of people over the years. That that's been the main obstacle. And here's how I like to say it. I like to say it in scriptural terms. I'm thinking about even doing a message sometime on this. You and I have to learn at some point in our life to face our lion. And we all have a lion. And one of the things about lions is lions never retreat. So for some people, where they go wrong is they think that the lion in their life is going to leave on its own. It never does. It's like we like to say, there's the elephant in the room and everybody knows it, but nobody wants to acknowledge it. Maybe there's a lion in your life. And it's there. You know it's there. God knows it's there. But you haven't faced it yet. You know the cool thing about what the Bible says? If you and I are willing to face our lion, God will give us the wherewithal to get victory over that lion. In fact, it's only when we are willing to face the lion in our life that we truly can get victory. If we pretend the lion's not there, or if we think the lion's going to retreat, it never happens. So I encourage you, whatever that lion is in your life, face up to it. That's the way you'll get victory over it. By faith, face up to your lion. All right. Where are we in time? Oh, we're almost done. All right, I'm going to stop again for a moment. The same. (laughs) Okay. Let me read that again. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, Abraham... He received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. Here's the phrase I want to focus on. Receiving the ability to do what we could not do on our own. That's what faith does. Faith gives us the ability to do what we could not do on our own. You know the story. God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to start a nation with you. Eventually, it's going to be called the Jewish nation. And your, your descendants are going to be as innumerable as the crystals of sand on the seashore. And you know, if you know the story, that when God first came to Abraham and Sarah and told them that, what was their reaction? Sarah laughed. Huh! I'm 90 years old. I ain't having any children. You've got to be kidding me. She laughed. So again... Don't think that all these people who find themselves in this chapter being commended for their faith, just like, oh, sure, God, I'm 90. Yeah, no problem. No, she struggled to believe. She struggled. Now, here's the cool thing. Eventually, her and Abraham came down on the right side, but it wasn't instantaneous. It took them a while. So don't be too hard on yourself when you you have that struggle to believe. In God, because they did too. Sarah laughed. But God didn't like that too well. 
he told Abraham, he says, I think your wife laughed at me. And Sarah overheard God speak to Abraham and says, no, I didn't. God said, yeah, you did. And then God said this. God said, is anything too hard for me? I love that. We got to keep that one. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because that's the, that's the quote. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And if you read your Bible back in Genesis, the word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see, there's different names for God in the Bible. Sometimes you'll come across the word Lord in your Bible and it's a small L, small O, small R, small D. That's the word Adonai, but a capital L, capital O. And Adonai is a great name for God, but capital L, capital O, capital R, that's the covenant name for God, the name Jehovah. The name that the Jewish people thought was so holy that they wouldn't even say the name. It's basically the name that God told Moses when Moses said, well, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am that I am. Okay. And God can be your I am. Whatever you need your I am to be. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so God can give you and I the ability to do things that we could not do in our own strength, in our own intellect, in our, in our own anything. God can take us beyond ourselves. I like to call us as Christians truly supernatural people because, you know, even though as a child I used to watch the cartoons of the Supermans and the, you know, all these people that had supernatural powers, but truly as a Christian we do have a power beyond ourselves. We are superheroes in that sense, not to draw glory to us, but to draw glory to the power behind us, which is God. We're all supernatural people tapped into a supernatural power that can enable us to go beyond ourselves. I think that's pretty cool. I'll share this. And I've shared this before. I apologize for using it. But to me, it's such a good illustration. That dad of mine that was not only my dad, but my best friend, I, I spoke at my dad's funeral. And people are like, how did you do that without just being a puddle? And I said, it wasn't me. God enabled me to do what I could not do on my own. He enabled me to stand up there in front of those folks at my father's funeral and speak about my dad and get through it. Now, certainly, I grieve. It's okay. But I'm just saying at that moment, God enabled me to do something beyond what I could have done on my own. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can look back on your life and you can say, if God wouldn't have showed up there, man, wow. He, ca- he carried me. I mean, it wasn't even me. He carried me. It wasn't me. He just bore me up in His arms and said, come on, we're going from point A to point B and if you can't make it, I'm carrying you. Let's go. You know. That's what faith can do. Isn't faith great? 
Amen. And I hope tonight that as we have explored a little bit of Hebrews chapter 11, you've been encouraged to trust God. Because here's what God's going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about this next week. One of the things that God does is God tests our faith. <laughs> so you know where this is going this next week, don't you? In fact, I debated on whether to even talk about this or not, because I'm thinking, are you going to test our faith as a church this weekend too? God, please don't do that. Pastor Little, have my hide. Yeah, Jeff, it's your fault. No. But God will test our faith. He really will. So I, I very much expect God in my life this week, between now and the time we meet next Tuesday, to bring something up in my life to where I'm, I'm really going to have to trust Him. It's not going to be me figuring it out and me having it all worked out, but I'm just going to have to say, God, you're right. It, if, I'm, if I'm speaking it, I've got to live it. And I'm sure there's going to be that moment for me as well. And I'm sure there's going to be probably at least one moment this next week for you as well where God's going to say, hey, remember the mine on Tuesday night? Well, this is, I want you to trust me here. I want you to trust me here. Guys, I love you. You're terrific. I enjoy so much teaching on Tuesday night with you guys. And next week, I just got to tell you, I may, it may be embarrassing. I, I might be skipping around that room over there or something, you know, dancing before the Lord. We might be putting our hands up and spinning around. I don't know, but yeah, it's, yeah we're going to have room next week to do that. But anyway, uh, I just, I'm thrilled. And, and God has given us that room, and I do. I want to fill it up. I want to fill it up, though, for the glory of God. Fill it up for the glory of God. Let's close in prayer, folks. You have been terrific. Dear Lord, um, we love you, and we thank you for showing up again tonight. Um, for once again reminding us, Lord, of how trustworthy and faithful you are. And Lord, reminding us just how important faith is. And Lord, just how it can benefit us and benefit others so much. Lord, how we can be sure of things in a world where there's not a lot to be sure about. That's huge. And Father, where we can be such a, a witness and an example for others to watch and to see, you'll put out there in the world and say, look at my children, how they're trusting in me. How they're not navigating their lives based upon what they can figure out and what they can touch and what they can see, but they're living their life based upon my word and my leading in their life. That's great. Father, thank you for going with us through this semester. This has been a, an interesting semester, to say the least. But God, it's been a good semester. It's been cool that even though we haven't had the room and all kinds of stuff, Lord, I just so appreciate these folks and their attitude each and every week and their faithfulness in spite of the obstacles to be here. And I just pray you would bless them. Because Lord... I just want to say they have been such an encouragement to me to continue to get into the Word and to study it as much as I do because of them. So Lord, encourage them and, and remind them how much they personally mean to me 
this coming week. And Father, I, I am excited about what's happening here. I, I just have to tell you, I'm, I'm like a, a kid. I, I, just, I can't wait till Sunday just to see what you're going to do and how you're going to show up on Sunday. And I can't wait to see next Tuesday and what that's like. And Father, I just can't wait to see all the lives that you touch. Lord, help us just to give you the glory. Help us never to take the glory ourselves. None of this, Lord, is because of us. It's all because of you. And help us to just reflect all of that over to you in the days ahead. Lord, go with us tonight. Take us home. And as we all lay our heads on that pillow at night, I know that all of us could say there's things that we could be worried about, concerned about, fretting about, losing sleep over. But God, when we lay our heads on that pillow tonight, help us to last thing we do tonight to just pray to you and just leave it in your hands and trust you whatever it is. And Lord, if there's a lion in our life right now, by Your grace, help us to face that lion and to pack away our past so that we can truly move forward like You want us to. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys are great. Have a great week. We love you. Take care.